Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the vision to my Wanda. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how are you doing? Uh, I'm dead. Yeah. I Maybe. Pull the timestone right out your forehead. And our very own, uh, I don't know, Agatha. It's Eric Ronovic. <laughs> Eric, how you doing? Hey, man, if I could be master actor Catherine Hahn, I'll do it. I thought you were going to make me other vision actually dude so. i love Catherine hahn so much she's a national say, treasure world treasure uh what was she, she was in the she was so good in the spider-verse as yes, the she was. as the uh what was the doc, female doctor yeah. yes yeah. so the, your friends call you doc ock my friends call me live my enemies call me doc it was such a Catherine <laughs> hahn thing to say okay so big news this week for seattle seahawks uh was was Carlos Dunlap getting cut? Uh, there, and it was kind of a ride too. We got to got, got taken on a little bit of a journey because uh, people broke stories that that uh, he was that they were working on an extension, and then and then he released like this vague Instagram post that made it seem like he was finishing up a new deal, wouldn't you say? And then he releases another vague Instagram post, which is basically like saying he's leaving, and then and then he's cut, and it was like. <laughs> We got the you got to run through all the emotions of uh of Carlos Dunlap. Now being stop signed. me if I'm wrong, but wasn't like wasn't that this supposed to happen all along? I really yeah, it was extendor it was extendor or cut. And one thing about Dunlap is Dunlap loves the business side. Um we see it, you see it. Um he owns a restaurant, he does real estate ventures. Like the business side of of uh of this is is interesting and important to him. And I don't. I think that him hitting free agency was something that he was excited about. And so, yeah, maybe he ends up coming back to the Seahawks. I doubt it because most of the time, these players with some southern roots end up playing for a team in the South. That that yeah. seems to be a trend that I notice when when these guys we say, "Hey, go test free agency." They come back to us and say, "Okay, you better beat this by a significant amount because I don't <laughs> would much rather play in the South." Um. And whether that's weather or uh, just just lifestyle, I'm not 100 percent sure, but but uh, yeah, I have a feeling he's going to end up playing for like Miami or Jacksonville because uh, or wasn't Urban Meyer his college coach? No, you have to. Uh, or yeah, in Florida, I think that would have been at the end of the Meyer. Rose. Yeah, so 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 I think like yeah, I'm pretty sure he was. So 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 Urban Meyer, he can reunite with Urban Meyer. That'd be pretty cool for him, I guess. And you know, it's it's um it's too bad. Uh, Eric, emotionally, how are you feeling when the Carlos Dunlap uh, cut comes through? Uh, just at a loss. Uh, like Kevin said, this was kind of the plan all along, or, or not the plan, but the, the likely outcome. And then this stupid podcast that I listened to, us, we, I co- we convinced me <laughs> that that we were going to extend Carlos Dunlap. And mainly Congratulations, because... Congratulations, you played yourself. I did. To put a quarter in my ass. Uh <laughs> That's that's for all you Beastie Boys fans out there. I was about to say, is that a, a Nickelback song? Or? Oh no, 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 all Beastie Boys. So, with Russ wanting to win now, a big shocker. Uh, no, no blame there. I really see this as a huge hindrance. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I kind of, yeah. The thing is, is that the Seahawks go into this off season, the cap goes down. Uh, the expectation was the cap would keep going up, right? So if the cap keeps going up right now, we're, I don't know, 50 million in the green. We have $50 million to take into free agent this, see this year. We can make a lot of moves now because the cap went down instead, you know, we're going to have to make sacrifices to make moves. And, and Carlos Dunlap, 
I'm just going to be honest, is not going to find a $14 million for one year in the open market this year. It's just not going to happen. And we'll talk mm-hmm. about this in a little more detail in a minute, but it's just not that kind of money's not out there, especially for an edge rusher at his age. And so I don't know exactly what he's looking for, whether it's guaranteed years or just getting to play closer to where he wants to live or his restaurant or reuniting with his old coach. But there's a lot of factors that can go into this for a player of his age. And and I don't blame him for kind of um, wanting to take a peek around and see what's out there. So Kevin, what are you thinking about the Carlos Dunlap cut just from the Dunlap side? Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I kind of already thought this has a good shot at happening. Um, I don't think the door is closed on him coming back, but I've always kind of looked at it as more of a role than an individual player. We need kind of a, a bankable asset on the defensive line as a pass rusher. And Dunlap filled that role uh, very well at the end of last year. And as long as that role gets filled, the jersey number doesn't matter that much to me. Yeah, and so let's talk about the role. So edge rusher, we have we have a, a deficiency. We have a lot of guys who can play in the rotation, especially on the other side of our of our defensive line. But the uh, the Leo, the the pass rush specialist style position, is uh, is a little understaffed, I would say, at this point. And so what the Seahawks can do though is is they can look to free agency, and, and this is a year where teams are going to be cutting guys that they wouldn't they normally wouldn't want to cut. But it's like, hey, we can choose. Either we don't have a f- fulfilled out roster, or we, you know, clear twenty one million in cap by s- cutting a guy that maybe we normally wouldn't cut. And it's going to be a, a bloodbath. One and mm-hmm. two, it's gonna it's gonna lead to a lot of uh, there's gonna be a lot of potential values. I'm gonna list off some edge defenders right now who just uh, who just walk in the streets, you know, who are available and free agency. And I'm just gonna say JJ Watt would have been on this list if we didn't sign with the stupid Cardinals. All right, here we go. This so, is available now, not not believed to be available. Shaq, yeah, this is available now. Shaq Barrett, Carl Lawson, Jave Davian Clowney, Yannick Ngakwe, Melvin Ingram, Bud Dupree, Leonard Floyd, Matthew Judon, Alden Smith, Hassan Reddick, Tack McKinley, Dietrich Wise, Ryan Kerrigan, Tyus Bowser, Justin Houston, Olivia Vernon. Who tore his uh, Achilles last year? But I think could be like a sneaky guy if you like want to put a guy on IR for the first eight Comes weeks. Back and, after the buy kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, but this is like there are just opportunities out there, right? Like this is there are so many guys. This is a, a deep list of guys who can really play. All well, every single guy I named on that list can can play a role on a football team, and. I think be really successful in, in some of the roles that we need. And so I'm less worried than usual because some of these guys are going to be available for eight, nine, 10, and we are going to be able to, for $14 million, we're going to be able to get a guy as good as, and Carl Sunlap's available. So you might be able to get, you might <laughs> be able to get, <laughs> you might be able to get Carlos Dunlap back for, for, you know, eight or nine. And then go get Dietrich Wise to go with him, right? And it's like, boom, roasted it. Like our defensive line is now so much better. You know, I, our, oh, we got Tyus Bowser, and oh yeah, we're also going to pick up Leonard Floyd. You know, it's like, oh, we're 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 set now. We're so good. I feel so, so much better after you saying this because I feel like now we can get if we can get two, you know, eighty percent Carlos Dunlaps. That's that's a plus. I think that we are suckering out for depth as opposed to to making a play to to have like the the high end player because even though I don't know there's a guys that are better than Carlos Dunlap available that I think are going to make less than fourteen million dollars a year 
average. Like Melvin Ingram's a good example of that. I think Melvin Ingram is same age, very similar age, and slightly better right now. And I think they are they're at least very close. And he's going to get closer to 10, 9, something like that. Uh, I don't know. I'm excited. I, I think that there's a lot of potential here for a guy who likes to wheel and deal, like John Schneider, to, to make some big moves on the defensive line and keep the budget in t- relatively intact. Can we uh, not Kevin? wait all year, like all summer long, like we did last year? Yeah, that's the problem. Is yeah. Last year, we were all in on making sure we got JD, right? We wanted Clowney back specifically. And when that didn't work out, it kind of messed everything else up, right? I think this year what they need to do is that strategy is not going to work. One, we have we need the depth bad enough that it doesn't we shouldn't we should be a little more skill set agnostic, right? Like it doesn't matter if the skill set is a perfect fit, we can find a way to use every single one of those guys I listed off. It ain't going it ain't like we got some guy that's oh man, you know who's going to lose snaps is uh, El- Collier. Collier's going to be losing a little bit of snaps and that's that's fine. That's acceptable. You know, it's like I I don't think that that's something we need to worry about. Like it just, just go get a couple guys on value deals and, and make it. So Kevin, when you read that list though, when I read that big list of names, I mean, what names stick out to you is like, Hey, I want that guy I want, or I want those guys. What are some guys that you really want? So I'm to- seeing kind of two approaches that I really like on this. If we want to spend up to like near that $14 million number, um, I think it comes with a, an age upgrade, so to speak. So uh, I'm looking at Carl Lawson and Trey Hendricks, uh, Trey Hendrickson, who are going to make in that they're probably gonna make somewhere between like 11 and 13 million, maybe 11 and 14 million. And those are both guys that are in their mid 20s. They're going to be getting their first contract off of their rookie deal. And they're both guys that um, have shown some productivity. Uh, Hendrickson's interesting because he had pretty decent pass rush productivity in 2019. <laughs> and then his sack numbers went up quite a bit in 2020. Um, but his pass rush productivity dipped a little bit. And that was because he was getting a lot more um, snaps as a pass rusher. My 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 opinion on Trey Henderson is he is like maximum jag. Like he's, he's a guy and he's going to play a role and he's going to be solid. But like if you overpay that guy, it's like not good. So make sure like if we if some team is like, hey, we're going to give him you know 450 it'd be like all right cool enjoy go have fun with trey hendrickson like that's too much <laughs> but so if we're I, getting them for like 330 yeah 10 10 a year is about the line for hendrickson for me i agree yeah now carl lawson i think is a, a better asset he's interesting to me because last year he was on a Bengals defensive line that had no other pass rushers and he put up his best season since his rookie year um he had some injury issues his second season and that kind of changed his numbers the other thing I like is he only had six sacks last season. Um, he only had five the season before, but his production rushing the passer outranks his sack numbers, which can bring his price down a little bit. If yeah, if we wanted to get like a like a pass rush specialist, I think Lawson might be the uh, the best. Him and Ngakwe are neck and neck, and I think he's probably going to be cheaper than Yannick because his sack could be numbers up to like as, five mil cheaper a year. Are his mm-hmm. eye popping right? So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I agree. The other way to do it that I like, and you mentioned him already, you know, I think Melvin Ingram's kind of the poster child for this. Um, if you wanted to like bargain basement shop, you could continue the Alden Smith experiment if that's the direction you want to go. But I like one of these veteran pass rushers that are going to be probably 10 million or under a year. And so you pick up a guy like that and an Olivier Vernon 
or a guy like that and, you know, attack McKinley or, well, technically it's probably more than that, but um, like a Tyus Bowser. Pernell Pernell McPhee. Right. You pick up um, a guy who... Just a rotational defensive end who's going to play... I mean, the thing is, you can just get two or three of these guys. I, I know with last year we made fun of how the Seahawks, like picked up a bunch of guys and suckered out for depth. But I thought, I think that for this defensive line, it might be a, a better strategy well, because there's like so Mayoa was a, uh, was a, an effective piece. All memes aside, if he was an effective piece when we yes. had somebody across from him and in Bruce Irvin, if he could have stayed healthy, probably would have done something. You can't, you, yeah. you got to assume that he would have been. Yeah. Some, that's, and it, that's, that's why you get multiple guys though. It's because like Irvin and Mayoa, if we wouldn't have had both of them, we, if we would have just signed one guy and he got hurt, then we're just super screwed. So yeah, yeah, I think that a good strategy is to throw like two or even three signings at this and see uh, what can happen and then throw the big money signing on the offense because, you know, like we want, uh, we want to keep the QB happy or whatever, go get Corey Lindsley or whatever's going to make Russ stop complaining in the media. Well, the other piece of it is I, we do have young pieces on the defensive line that are progressing as pass rushers. And we do have a player in Daryl Taylor where the team knows the most about his medicals. And if he's a guy who's going to be healthy, he steps in and he'll be another like solidly productive piece on the line. You know, there's a good reason to think Alton Robinson's going to take a little step. There's a good reason to think that Rasheem Green and LJ Collier will take another little step. So yeah, like signing some depth at Leo makes a lot of sense. And we piece together like it used to be, you know, in the early Pete Carroll era, we had a lot of guys on the defensive line who could come in and give you quality snaps. Yeah. It was like Clemens, Bennett and Averill, you know, it's like, it's like just guys that just tons of, you wanted more bodies and, you know, run, run hard when you're out there and compete and then make sure you get a rest. So you're fresh when you come out again. Yeah. I'd love to see us pick up two or three guys, uh, from the, from the big list. And I mean, it's a deep pass rush class is my main point. This is a deep pass rush and it's going to get deeper because teams are going to cut quality players that and not uh, have money to sign them. Yeah. And then the, they're going to be stuck with like, Oh, we can only afford the, <laughs> the cheapest guy, you know, the, the cheapest guy on this list. So Yeah. I won't. I won't say we're not as screwed as people are making it out to be. Now, here's the thing: I'm going to have to eat crow if at the end of, if at the end of this, you know, it's like, hey, we're just bringing back Bruce Irvin and Benson Mayo. Uh, you know, run it back. <laughs> no, I will. I will. Um, I'll, I'll say I was wrong. I will admit that right right away. So yeah, unless we're happened. like because we signed Kenny Galladay, then oh. you're like, okay, okay, that makes sense. But if yes. you're if you're just like because when, we signed a bunch of four million dollar players, you're like. Oh, no, I will lose my mind. When the Lions didn't uh, didn't uh, resign Kenny Galladay, I sent a text out. Someone said, "Just just uh, just sign Kenny Galladay. We don't need an offensive line if everyone's always open." <laughs> That's a fact. Because it's a strategy. It's a definitely a strategy. So the big big story this offseason has been Russ complaining about the offensive line, taking a lot. He's taken a lot of sacks in his career, and so uh, I did a statistical deep dive, and Kevin, I think, did a very similar one. Uh, we did not. We just said we were going to talk about this, and I'm going to guess our stats. We were on the same, but uh, what what I wanted to do is I wanted to figure out like why is Russ getting sacked so much, and and um, what is it about him that makes it him specifically makes me so like his playing style and stuff like that so what i did is i went into the the pro football focus premium stats and uh, i i decided um i was going to take every quarterback that played uh 88 or more dropbacks 
Okay. And do you know why I picked 88 or more dropbacks, guys? Do you know that? Hmm. Because Chase Daniel, the most dropbacks he ever had in a season is 87, and I did not want him to be included in my data set. <laughs> so I Amazing. Put, so I set the bar at 88 dropbacks per uh so that <laughs> now logic. Chase Daniel is not anywhere near now. And I actually literally was like, okay, Chase Daniel, that's the line. If you didn't play as much if you haven't dropped back more than uh Chase Daniel at his best then uh, you're not on this list so i took a very different approach i did uh basically 50 percent of their team's dropbacks yeah see mine mine is uh mine's way more fun okay so 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 i i have two and i have another stat too so uh but i I did i did two stats time to throw and i did a number of pressures that pro football focus credited to the quarterback now there's i have some uh, qualms about that because you know we don't know the play call and all that stuff but uh there's something to that that i'll get to in a minute so time to throw though uh 2012 2.97 seconds to throw 39th out of 39 qualified over the chase daniel line 2013 2.82 to throw 42 of 47 42nd out of 47 2014 2.89 45th out of 45 2015 2.67 42nd out of 47 uh, 2016 2.51 21st out of 41 and i thought like okay when i wrote that number down i was like it's gonna get better now it's gonna be sweet like he finally turned the corner 2017 2.88 seconds 44th out of 45 found 20, yourself in the wow. bell curve 20, 28 20 i was like oh 2018 2.86 seconds 43rd out of 46 uh, 2019, 2.71, 37 of 47, and 2020, 2.78, 41 out of 45. So then I was like, okay, I'll go look at these QB allowed pressure numbers and I'll see if I can notice a pattern there. Of the seasons Russell Wilson has been the Seahawks starter, he was first in the league three times and never the, his best finish was sixth most allowed pressures credited to the quarterback. So then I started looking at who are the players that are consistently at the top of this list, right? Like this, cause this list is showing me something like about play style, right? Like these quarterbacks that are getting pressured, they might have something in common. Risk other quarterbacks, heartbreakers, other quarterbacks that are at the top of this list are like Deshaun Watson. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is always first or second in this list. Uh, every single season he's been played. And I was like, okay, so here's what's happening. Russell Wilson keeps plays alive, just like Patrick Mahomes does. Patrick Mahomes does that same stuff where he just keeps plays alive forever. And he ends up taking a bunch of extra sacks because of it. Right. And so if Russ wants to stop getting sacked so much, what he needs to do is take a long look in the mirror and say, do, do I change who I am? Right. And I'm going to stop making all these amazing plays, these uh, 360 no scope uh, passes out of the backfield where some guys bearing down on me because I took a nine step drop and uh, I buried my offensive tackles, made their job impossible. And now I got to do like a 360 spin move throw to the corner of the end zone and oh, touchdown Tyler Lockett. That's an awesome play. But if he doesn't want to get sacked anymore, that play needs to not exist in his vocabulary because that that is why those plays are why he's taking a million sacks and why he's getting pressured all the time. He holds the ball for a really long time, more than basically everyone else in the league. He does not give his off he his offensive lineman it's it's an impossible task to block that long and especially when a guy keeps running backwards to avoid pressure or keeps moving backwards yes. like that makes your job harder and harder like because you're changing harder. the angles of a yeah. block which is yeah, a the, big problem like you don't want to have to do that if the he same thing does, is going on in the secondary for other players yeah so if he wants to be like Tom Brady stand like a statue in the pocket and never get sacked. He can do that, but he has to change who he is just as much as the offensive line talent in front of him needs to change. I do not think that the offensive line as constructed currently 
is bad enough that he needs to be burying it in the media because he should know like, okay, if I want to not get sacked as much, I need to just stand in the pocket where I'm supposed to stand and just take what the defense gives me instead of waiting and waiting and waiting to try to let some bomb downfield develop. And so that's kind of the conclusion I came to as I looked at the stats and the the stuff. Now, Kevin, you looked at the similar stats. What did you, what would you think when you were looking at, did you see any stats that I didn't see? So a couple of trends I think are interesting. Um, I took the number one quarterback and I took the number 15 quarterback from the rankings to kind of get like the average starter. So to, so to speak. Oh, like you're trying to see like how far from, from median is he kind of? Yes, exactly. And so uh, Russ on average was as far away from 15th as he was from first in time to throw or as 15th was from first. Oh, so he's like way behind. Yeah. I I mean, yes. Cause like, uh, so the average person in 15th place is about 2.56 seconds to throw which is a time that he beat once in 2016 when Nathan got all optimistic. Mm-hmm. Um, he had 2.79 is his average, which is which would be ranked near the bottom just about every year. Now, in addition to that, we have... Uh, sorry, just a second. Yeah, and I mean, it, these are quarterbacks... Oh, the quarterbacks over the Daniel line, you know? So these are... I had some stars on my list, you know, that were finishing right around Russ. Like... Uh, who was that guy that played for us for one year and then he played for Oakland and all of that stuff? Eric, uh, what was that guy's name? Uh, Zach Miller? No, no, no. The quarterback. Oh, uh, uh, I, I, uh, no, no, no. He went to Ohio State. Um, went to Ohio uh, State. Didn't that's he go not, to you know, that's State? not going to, that's not going to help me. You're talking about Flynn, are you? No, no. I'm talking about the no. quarterback who he played for us like in a preseason game. He had, he played for <laughs> Oakland one year. Um, this is the worst because he, he had like, that, he had like a ninety nine yard run and it was like really exciting. Oh, Terrell uh, uh, Pryor, Terrell Pryor. Okay, like I had people like podcast people favorite popping pod, up on this Terrell list because Pryor. they they played they started like four games <laughs> and threw like ninety passes. You know, uh, Johnny Manziel was on there a couple times. You know, so. <laughs> okay. So the other thing I wanted to look at that I thought was interesting because this to me is an indication of the offense. I looked at his percentage of dropbacks that were two point five seconds or less. Um, okay, that is, and, that is a nice angle. I like that. And I think that it actually does tell a bit of a story about the type of offense that the Seahawks are employing. Um, and that is his percentage of dropbacks uh, that are 2.5 or less averages out over his career to about 43.2%. But that number has been consistently mm-hmm. in like the low to mid 40s for um, the bulk of his career since he kind of, let's say, matured as a passer. Right? Mm-hmm. That's pretty close to average. Average over over the time of his career is forty eight point four percent. So to give you, a, uh, so in twenty twenty, he had forty two point two percent. The average, the bang average quarterback, the me, the median quarterback was forty seven point nine percent. By comparison, the number one quarterback was seventy three point three percent, which was uh, Ben Roethlisberger just throwing it as soon as the ball got to his fingers. Dang, last year, he did really bad in that. The percentage of dropbacks that were less than two seconds, uh, just last year specifically, yeah, thirty nine. Yeah, because the 45. year before that he was forty five point six percent, compared to forty six percent for the number fifteen quarterback. Just not a lot of just not a lot of quick passes in the, yeah. in our uh, in our offense last year. And I think that's kind of telling over the last few years um, in the Schottenheimer offense. There's just not really a quick passing game. 
Uh, we did a featurette a while back about Tyler Lockett's option routes. And option routes, by definition, are going to be late developing routes because it involves reading the cornerback. It involves usually multiple breaks or the potential for multiple breaks in the route. Those are going to be longer developing routes down the field. So I think what we're seeing is sort of the worst combination of Russ's tendency to hold on to the ball and try and make a huge play and the offense basically being built around that tendency where it's encouraging him to scramble around and wait for somebody to come open because, you know, on the third move, Lockett comes free over the middle of the field. So Russ wants to hold on to the ball and wait because, hey, that's when he might be able to separate from that corner. Um, yeah, he so... And and I think P and P and and Schottenheimer are in his ear about big plays, you know, because big plays matter a lot to toxic Pete differential, yeah, right. So so he's in his ear, like, hey, if you can take get the big play, take it. And then now, now, uh, right, he just got he's try stay, sitting back there. And he's like, I'm gonna wait a second, see if that big play opens up. And he he already passed on the the real good, the real easy one underneath, right? Yeah, and then by the same standard, I went ahead and checked, uh, and I'll just go over this real quick. So offensive line, we agree that last year was his best offensive line in a few years, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, and that was shown through. Russell was responsible for 16 of his 42 sacks, according to PFF. Um, The most any offensive lineman was responsible for was four, and there's three of them that had that. Before that, we have uh, in 2019, he was responsible for 13 out of 49 and the number one was uh, a Fetty with seven sacks allowed uh, 2018 13 out of 43 and we have a Fetty with six allowed and so you start running over a theme where the offensive line has gotten better but it's almost like the offensive philosophy is asking Russ to ask more out of the offensive line so I do think a change of scheme could have a really big impact on Russ's pressure rate. Perfect. This goes right to what I want to talk about next, which is Shane Waldron. So Shane Waldron comes in. We've seen we've seen a lot of Rams games, right? We've all watched uh, a million Rams games. And Too how do many you, Rams games. How do we think that the Shane Waldron offense is going to help Russ uh, fix these problems? Like how is how is it going to be the uh, the salve, the remedy, the the juice? I don't know how you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Eric, how do you think that Rams style offense could help Russell Wilson get out of get out of jail here? So this is I feel like this is the last ditch effort. I love what both of you guys said. And you you guys more or less said the same thing coming in from different sides. Congratulations on us. And I'll take credit because I'm your friend. Um well, couldn't have done without we, you cheering us on. <laughs> that's I know, that's uh biggest cheerleader. Yeah, so, so say first first of all, uh, at the end of the game I'd like to thank the cheerleaders. Without them I wouldn't have been able to win. That, I, 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 I want to hear a player say that one. I guess time. that so you I say guess that, that makes you me say that, that Eric, but at like six and a half feet tall, you probably are the biggest cheerleader. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh it's true. So we've talked about this for years. How do we I mean two years ago, this was a thing on the podcast. How do we get Russ to throw the ball faster? What are some quick routes we can do? There was the, the, the DK Metcalf is trying to run the slant route uh, that is getting, he's getting better at it, but it's still not like this go-to route that we love. Oh, and uh, he volleyballs that ball yes. up on those and it scares the hell out of me. <laughs> and you know why it scares you, Kevin? It's because you have PTSD from Super Bowl 49. Let's face it. This is, this is a thing that we will always have until we get this pass locked in for a whole year. And then it's going to be like a Kaz Sasaki save. Mariner fans, where you're like, oh, he's got it. 
I think. Uh, this is this is the thing with Russ and you both bringing up that Russ is responsible for his own sacks. I think this is why you're seeing John Schneider not put the kibosh on all this, you know, trading Russell Wilson talk. No one's come out and said anything. Russell Wilson is going anywhere. Everyone is mum on this. They are just zipping their lips. And I think it's a little uh, play in the media to be like, you know what? We're not going to say anything. We improved your offensive line last year. Your offensive line was not that bad. And now look where we're at and look at the, all, all the crap you're stirring up. You're making us look bad. So I think that's part of it. Shane Waldron, obviously there's there's all this focus on the tight end, which I got to remind you was a whole thing with Brian Schneider when he came in. Brian Schneider loves to use the tight end. Brian Schneider's going to... Uh, Schottenheimer. You know, I'm sorry. Uh, Schneider. Uh, we have 700 Schneiders. I just Should, thought we got him. I'm Brian, isn't Brian Schneider, isn't he gone now? Though? Yeah, he's gone. Yeah. We got, finally got rid of him. Thank yeah, goodness. Izzo came in and did really well last year. Yeah, because uh, Schneider, Schneider just collected PTO last year. I'm sorry. So Schottenheimer, this is this big thing. He was going to use his tight ends more. And he did, but not to the level we thought. So I think that, as you said, uh, is this the solve? No. I think, personally... This is going to be another little offense that is going to go more towards Pete's way of thinking. We're still going to have these big plays. I think that Waldron's going to have to use uh, maybe a little more tight end uh, hitch routes, a little more drag routes with the tight ends. I can see that happening watching some Rams games. Too many. But ultimately, do I see a big change in all this? I do not. And I'm also starting to wonder, is Pete Carroll really that crazy with his offense or is he just not ever getting the offense he wants i'll take your comments off the air <laughs> i mean i can take this first yeah. yeah go ahead kevin um so what i would say is a lot of the things in a ram style offense um are designed to be able to get help the quick game get going mm-hmm. and they're designed in order to you could say simplify or i would say condense the read and so, unbalance unbal- oh, the I, defense a little bit, but within with with like uh, this little this little stuff for the the people to think about as possible. I, like I didn't right. want to tee Kevin up here, but t- Kevin, I, I I feel like you're exactly where I'm thinking. Keep going. So, like, instead of Russ waiting for Tyler Lockett to make a third move, Russ is waiting to see if um, DK's slant route sucks the safety into the middle. and leaves Tyler Lockett open on the outside. Yeah. So it creates a very different pattern to your big plays. You'll occasionally have that like deep bomb that takes a while to develop. But I think what I would find likely to see is Russ's average time to throw because there'll be a lot of play action isn't going to go down a ton. So maybe it drops from that like right around 2.8 seconds to closer to 2.8. Five to 2.65 so it gets to like bottom end of average which is pretty good like we talked about with our offensive line but I think his percentage of dropbacks that are 2.5 seconds or less I would expect that to go up I would expect that to end up closer to 50% like high 40s somewhere right in the middle of the league because there's just going to be a lot of plays where it's like hey Russ your read is you know, flip out to the right and you're not waiting for two or three moves and then doing your dump off. It's more like, what did the defense do here? What did the defense do here? Okay, I'm going to do just like this quick pass to the tight end who's running a drag. And so 
because there'll be a lot of these really close to two second pass reads, it's going to suck down that average time to throw and it's going to increase that percentage. So Russ still wants big plays. Pete still wants big plays. Waldron's offense is likely to generate big plays quicker because big plays come more often on the run after the catch where a perfect throw kind of allows for that as opposed to all of the yardage having to come off of the throw. Yeah, it's more about the play call and the read. Russ is going to be able to get 40 yards throwing it five yards because he's going to hit DK on the run and uh, DK is going to take it and go. So, um, yeah, I, I completely agree. Basically everything you said, I wish I could add more, but like the, it, the thing is, is Russ is right. He does need a little bit of help in this offense. The three wider, the third wide receiver and a three wide receiver sets important. Uh, so is, is uh you know John or Sua or Freddie Swain or whoever ready to take that bigger role, that Josh Reynolds role or whatever in, in our offense and be that third wide receiver when we do three wide receiver sets? Is Will Disley healthy enough to be the number one tight end that we're gonna need when we go into those those uh tight end sets? It's just and can he push the seam? Yeah. So it's just it's like it's like a it's like those are legitimate questions that need to be answered. And if we don't have that third wide receiver, we need to go sign him, you know, and and there are guys out there to go get that third wide receiver. You know, we we joke that we could get Galladay. That'd be the best. Right. Uh, but Is we could look your set available. You could go down and you could go all the way down and yes. get like A.J. Green, you know, or you could go get you could just actually go get Josh Reynolds. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Go get Josh Reynolds. And that's good enough for me. And then and then now you got to go get a tight end. Right. And the tight end is a little more dicey. You know, there are less options at tight end. I feel like than it. I feel like it drops off considerably after the first four guys. Now there there is Hunter Henry. There's Jonu Smith. There's Gerald Everett. And there's Jared Cook. And then after that, I feel like it is a significant drop off. And yeah, I, I, I would have put Rob Gronkowski in there, but there's not a chance in hell that Rob Gronkowski plays anywhere next year except for Tampa Bay. So, so, yeah. so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just not even considering that as an option. Do you uh, think our tight ends are so bad that we need to improve them? Uh, well, okay. Who, who are the tight ends that are currently on the roster right now, Eric? Do you know? Because that's the problem is that some of our tight ends are gone. We're not. We don't have. We don't have a Jacob Hollister anymore, who is the probably the tight end I had the second most confidence in. We have Will Disley. We have Will Disley. We have Parkinson. We have Col- Colby Parkinson and Luke Wilson. Uh, so unless Colby Parkinson's ready to make the leap, and I don't know, you know, I, I think that Colby Parkinson one thing about him is if you put the ball in his catch radius, he always catches it on his tape. The problem is his catch radius is surprisingly small for a guy that big. Yep. Like it's he's good. If you put it on him, he is catching it. His hands are glue. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. He does not drop the ball. It's crazy. He but he doesn't he isn't able to get as much for a guy that big. You think the catch radius would be huge and it's just not. It's just not a huge catch radius. It's it's big, but it's not like insane like you would expect for a guy that's six seven to have a catch. Radius. But he's the equivalent hand- of the uh, really tall NBA center, but they can't dunk. Yeah, or just like doesn't dunk, you know what I mean? It's just like just like does does a layup. It's like, all yeah. right, well, you do the layup. That's that you do you, dog. So yeah, I don't know. I like Parkinson. He'll be popular with all the deadlift shrimp fans around here. I don't it's hard for me to know like what Parkinson is right now, right? We could yeah. get Hollis, we could get Hollister back. He probably won't be too expensive, you know, four to five a year. But uh 
you know, we can also take a chance on another guy. Maybe we want to try Trey Burton. Maybe we want to go get the corpse of Mercedes Lewis. I don't know. Like, I think that that evaluation, that conversation should happen with Russell Wilson in the room, though. That's important right now. And uh, I agree. I just don't want to spend. We we did a tight end show a few weeks ago. I don't want to spend money on those tight ends. I just don't. I don't want to. I don't want to back up any if, sort of medium sized truck to Gerald. Edwards. If our splashy signing this year is Hunter Henry, I'm totally okay with it. To be honest with you, really. Um, My issue is in the draft, if we want an impact guy, we're probably spending the second round pick on it. So our top player we draft as a tight end. Yeah. Or um, we're probably trading up from the fourth to like the late third to be able to get one of the other guys. Otherwise, we're not getting a guy who can step in. Probably the second round pick is probably a tight end or interior offensive lineman, right? Don't you feel like unless something changes, that's the way it's trending right now? It's just I would say so because left guard is such a big question mark for us right now. I guess we could do nothing. We could do cornerback too. It it would be because we we don't have any cornerbacks. (laughs) Yeah, but that's not really the Seahawks (laughs) way. We're more likely to spend like a fourth or a fifth on a corner that we're going to develop. And sign, sign the guys. offensive guy. Yeah. <laughs> Sad but true. Yeah. All right. So yeah, I think that that pretty much uh, covers most of the things I want to cover. You oh, know, Shaquille... sometimes you get Trey, and sometimes you get Richard. Sherman, last Eric. last Seahawks news: Shaquille Griffin <laughs> and Chris Carson both are going to hit free agency. Uh, what's your what's your what's your number for those guys? Like, what number do you would you be like? Okay, Chris Carson, I want you back bad. Uh, or like, I'm, I'm good with it. I'm good with that number. Uh, Chris Carson and Shaquille Griffin, Kevin, what are you thinking? What's, uh, your, what's your price there? Chris Carson. I hate to say it cause it's not a fair number for him, but six and a half. Yeah. Mine was six. So yeah. <laughs> I, and I don't think it's going to be deserves really, more than that. It's really going to in a normal year, the non COVID year, he's getting eight to 10 in this free agent market, but I don't know if that money is going to be there for him. And I think he might take like a one-year, six-million-dollar deal to the team that he knows the system's going to make him look good, right? Like, which our I system th- does make him look good. I think there's a possibility Chris Carson's back on a one-year deal next year. Just going to throw that out there, Eric. What about you? What's your number for uh, for Carson? Are you, are you would you go higher? No, 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 six million. Exactly what I had. I was I was like five is is a little impossible, so six is right in the wheelhouse. Yeah, there's some good running backs on free agency too. So if we strike out with Chris, I mean, there's not the end of the world. How about Shaquille Griffin, Kevin? Oof. Um, My number keeps getting lower as I look at the cornerbacks I in free agency. I want to pay him 10, but I could probably be talked into like 11 and a half or wow, 12. You're, you're kinder than me. Mine was nine and a half. I really don't. I feel Shaquille- like I feel like if I get like 330 would be a really good deal with him or like if he wants to do like a prove it on like a like a one or a two year deal the thing about Shaquille Griffin for me right now is that he is a cornerback a CB 1.5 yep he's not quite he's like the best CB2 yeah. on earth but he's not quite a true one it doesn't feel like and like he's not lock solid shut down the guy one on one destroyer like we had with uh, Sherm or and it's just it's tough i don't know how much money you really want to put into a guy like that like would you rather pay him 11 million dollars to or richard sherman 11 million dollars to come back or for me it's more like do i want to pay no that was a serious question Uh, i'd rather pay shaq griffin Um, i don't don't want old Sherman for 11 come on but like but like on the other hand would i rather have shaq for 12 or like jadobia woozy and troy hill 
for 13 together combined, you know, like that's the big thing because we really have two cornerback positions to answer for. And so if I can, you know, do I want a B minus or do I want a couple of C pluses? Yeah. Chidobia Woozy and Akella Weatherspoon. Get them both. Reunite. Reunite the uh, put the Colorado the Colorado, back together. Colorado Colorado second the Buffalo secondary from 2016. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then get Tedrick Thompson back. And uh, wait, who's the, the, their other safety was really good, but it's someone who was drafted later. Uh, who was it? And we certainly I, could use a I, safety. I, I, can't, I can't remember. Uh, I, I that's like the, the position I feel like the most confident <laughs> on the whole team. Is. That's because we have so many. Uh, I think my number for Shaq was nine. But can you guys help me with something? Is there's no way we were going to franchise him because he would have commanded like 14 a year, but could we have put the transition tag on him? We no one uses that anymore. It seems like we would have had to free up cap space. Transition right? tag uh, is tra- stupid. Yeah. I'd say we tagged, uh, um, Oh, uh, Hollister last year. Yeah. But that's such a small, the transition that's... tag, like never get hardly ever gets used. Yeah. It got kind of, uh, the the way that they changed all that stuff in the last round of uh, uh, collective bargaining kind of Isaiah Oliver is the other corner. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, yeah. They man, they, what a great what a great college level secondary. Holy smokes! Like put they put four guys in the NFL, and we can say what we want about Tedrick Thompson, but if he he was a good college player at least. Um, okay, the that's pretty okay. Let's get into the uh, the. They also had a guy it. named Joey Tuggle. I'm just gonna put that out there. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> just just letting you guys know that hmm. <laughs> please uh, hmm. please ask me any of your 2016 colorado buffalo roster questions <laughs> hmm. who was the quarterback was it was it it a... was a uh, montez <laughs> what still really was he like a four-year starter or something stevie montez um yeah. he split it that year with oh i can't think of the guy's name All right, that's it fine. was him and basically like stevie montez 1.0 where well, there are many ways Probably to support Steve this point eight <laughs> there are many ways to support the seahawks nest podcast the best way to do so head over patreon.com slash seahawks nest uh, or go to only 12s.com for as little as a dollar 24 a month gain access to our off-season holiday specials and of course the the schwam and the and the bets podcast when it comes back in the fall uh thank you to lucas greta ryan cooper james brett carrie tom sam brandon nick thomas Foles, eb manuel j Warwolf, Rob, Bob, Richard, Kieran, Mike, Flockmas, Keith, and Michelle, and everyone else who supports the show. If you uh, want, to, oh, and then the other big piece of news: if you're in the Discord for uh, for the Seahawks podcast Saturday, the 13th, in preparation of our next holiday episode, we will be watching a movie together. It's Maniac Cop. Come into the Discord, watch Maniac Cop with the boys, laugh it up, and then see if your your great joke can make it into the, uh, the holiday special episode. <laughs> um and then uh yeah that's basically it uh movie club today is a tv it's tv club it's it's on streaming club uh it's wandavision so if you haven't watched wandavision yet and you're waiting or you're like two episodes behind turn it off i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pull any punches and i'm giving you plenty of opportunity to shut off whatever you're doing or switch over to you know seahawkers or man to man because you're you're done now because you haven't watched wandavision yet this is a not this is not a spoiler free zone. All right, now that I did that, Eric, you watched it. Kevin, I know you didn't watch it yet. You're uh, you're just it's not a priority for you, I know, because I just uh, don't watch TV. It's it's MC it's MCU plus TV, which is like a, a low priority combo for Kevin. That's a fact. Uh, so so okay, Eric, 
just give me your overall thoughts on one division. What do you, what'd you think? Uh, I think it was overall very solid, very entertaining. Uh, it was different despite all my nerd friends. Cause <laughs> I have a lot of them that talked about what genius this, the show was. And that was early in the season of, Oh, they're just really building something. No, you took too long. You could have really sped this up. You could have made it cooler earlier. That's that's I think the legacy of this show. It was so very actually, strong, but I think like yeah, the the beginning is cool. Like there's this mystery. There's all this weird stuff going on, and they start giving you the crumbs and the clues. And I I would say like the first like six episodes, I'm really into the show, uh, and I'm like okay, I like where this is going. And it reminded me in those first six episodes a little bit of Legion. You know, like where okay. like it's kind of weird. It's different. Um, we're approaching this from a different angle and I'm into it. And then I would say at that point, uh, it really fell off a cliff for me. Those last three episodes, like I, I have not, I would say that this show had an arc kind of like the whole Game of Thrones series had where at the beginning it's really good and I, I'm interested. I'm, it's pulling me in. And at the end, it's just like kind of, why did I, why? Why did I even bother with this? Yeah. It because okay, let's just let's just let's just go into it. Okay, so from basically from the point where they where um they introduced the villain, right? The the primary villain. I at from that point at that point I was like, all right, that's that's a that's a thing you can do. I want to see where they take it. And then it from that point forward, it was like typical Marvel uh, action garbage where like uh, CGI explosions are running into each other and people are just floating around and the action is really boring. And I'm, this is a criticism I have of of Marvel action in general. Just Marvel action to me is like the most boring action. It's filmed so boring and the action doesn't hit hard. It's just like CGI. It's all CGI and it just doesn't feel very impactful. And And shaky cam. Don't forget the shaky cam. Yeah. And, and all, and lots of cuts to make sure you, we know that your actors really cannot do action scenes. Like we have to be a hundred percent sure that none of these people trained very much to do an action scene. And, and like, I just felt like the ending was such a letdown and I, I don't know. That's kind of how I, the, the legacy of the show for me is going to be like, it's fine. Like the beginning was cool. The end was, eh, and like, this is like, I don't know. It's like, like, okay, I'm supposed to have like this girl boss, like, yay, Wanda thing about a person who tortured and enslaved an entire town and then just like got away with it and left. Like, that's what I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be happy with that. Like, I don't know the expectation for me as a viewer to be okay with that. And like, to, to like, have our main character not only escape any consequences of their actions, but also like any kind of moralizing or philosophizing about it. Like we don't even think about it. We just have like the uncharacter going like, Hey, these people, they'll never know what you gave up. Are you kidding me? Those people were tortured for weeks and you locked their kids in rooms and like watched them cry for you to like, just let their kids out of the rooms. Yeah. They'll never understand what you gave up. Your, your, you know, fabricated children that you made that you could just make again somewhere else. Like I, I, I don't know. I felt like so I was so salty at the end of this at the end of the series, like to the point where I was like, I don't know even know what I could rate this anymore. Like I just don't I don't know. I have no clue how I really feel about it anymore. So so I don't know. Help me help me figure it out, Eric. What what how do we feel about what division? What what do I do? Where do I go from here? And like 
I'm, the thing is, I'm so enamored with what they did at the beginning, like the the way it was going through eras. They're parodying different styles of television shows. They're they're um, they're revealing different stuff. That the whole fake out with the the wrong actor for Quicksilver was fun. I actually like that, even though it never turned into anything. Like, yeah, I, that's the thing is, it didn't turn into anything, and I was man, I was just so over the 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 length of time it took to get interesting because the first episode. I feel like at the end of the second episode, there was a little more of a reveal. Put that in the first. The first one was just too, too weird, too out there. Like if you're not, if you're not really invested in the Marvel universe, I don't think it's enough. I just, I, I, I thought the episode was short enough that I didn't care. Does that make sense? I think like, that's fair. It, it, it was like, tw- it was like 26 minutes long or something. It was short. Those first two episodes, like you don't realize how short they are because like they're filmed in the old style. Right. And so like they're, they may, they kind of have that like slower pacing, but those episodes were just in terms of runtime, they were, you can, you could burn through, you could burn through this whole series in like two hours, three hours. It's not that long. Like until the end, the last couple episodes are a lot longer, right? Yeah. The, the runtime of the final episode is 49 minutes. Yeah. The runtime of the eighth episode is 47 minutes. Like the episodes got longer at the end and they were worse. So not only was I watching something I liked less, I was watching more of it. <laughs> Which is like fine, whatever. I Good guess. combo. That what about that eighth episode with the like the drama porn where they went through like Wanda's background? Yeah, that was. Uh, I I didn't care. I didn't- <laughs> exactly, it was like so eye rolly. Like I'm like, am I? What am I supposed to think now? Like, are they trying to get me to sympathize with Wanda enslaving this town? Like, I don't. I don't totally. I don't know. I just think for a show that has been put in the pantheon so quickly, I've never, I don't know. I feel really let down by where they went, where they went with this show. And like, I thought there was a lot of interesting questions that they could have grappled with. And instead they, it just turned into every other Marvel movie at the end, you know, which is like, I don't hate it, but I don't love it. It's just, it it just kind of is what it is. Right. Fair. I think that's a totally fair review. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it had it. It was like so close to being more. I don't know. What was your What was your favorite episodes or favorite favorite things in the show? What's your What was your top top things? What was uh, good, What's the good stuff? The penultimate episode, the the reveal of Agatha, uh, the Eric of the of the show. Um, uh, breaking the fourth wall, episode seven. Yeah, if you look at little things like uh that, I really enjoyed Catherine Hahn's character. At some point, uh, the girl from uh, two uh two broke girls whatever her uh, the darcy character she comes in and she starts mapping out the wandavision world and she's like this guy is you know this guy's in the show but this is his real name and this is what he really does this guy's in the show he's being mind controlled this is what he really does agatha didn't have anyone in in that universe there was no there was no real version of agatha that they could point to and say this is her real name so you knew from the beginning there was something up with her she showed up all the time. You didn't know if she was like friend or foe or like someone being used. Also, there was a little bit of the red herring with the uh, the guy from Sword, like the the, the bad government guy. Like, oh, yeah, the guy the guy that shot a kid, tried to shoot kids at the end. <laughs> tried to shoot kids. Dude, in, most inexplicable thing. Like, why is this guy shooting kids? Like, <laughs> yeah, but he knows they're made up. It doesn't. It didn't make sense. <laughs> they're not even real kids. Yeah, it's. Uh, I would just say that. That just raises further questions. <laughs> Uh, the Agatha moments were the best for me. Absolutely. So for me, my favorite episode was episode four, the one where it, where it's where it, where it was Monica and she, 
it kind of shows like when she came back from the blip and it um it deals with the like the like the emotion and the weight of that that i in a way that i thought was really interesting you know like these people were gone for a long time you know and then they they just appeared back again and there's consequences to that and i thought that was like a really interesting thing for it that's the kind of interesting thing a marvel doesn't really push into often right it's yeah. always just like hey everything's perfect now and everything's great and no uh, one does the hero right and it's like like that was and like so in this like I thought it was like, hey, that's a really interesting direction to push. And uh, and like the way that it revealed like, oh, and then you're like, oh, I have seen her before in the show. Like and then it revealed how she got into the 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 hex and she got cast in the sitcom and uh, all that stuff. And I don't know. I just felt like episode four was like the peak for me. Like that episode is so good. Monica Rambeau also is a really nice, uh, a nice addition to the show. Yeah, really cool. And uh yeah, and I just I thought I thought I thought like that was like kind of the episode that hooked me. Like up until that point, I was like, "This is interesting." And you're, but you're right; it was a little slow. And I, I'm I'm in for weird stuff, so I was probably just gonna I would have stuck it out even if it just stayed weird, like it was in the first three episodes. But episode four was kind of what hooked me and made me like want to drive through to the end because I was like, "They might they're taking this in a really cool direction." And uh, and then uh, from there, it was uh, it was like when you found that good Russell Wilson number for his. Uh, time to throw and then like the bell curve just went the I don't other know. Way. eric's right like the, the halloween episode <laughs> and the seventh episode have have pot like i think really positive elements to them um where it's like uh yeah there's stuff going on there uh that i thought was pretty cool but uh yeah the last two episodes were like not not for me and that was that was made for someone else that wanted something different from this show and like i just like like I cannot help but leave that show feeling like Wanda is a villain, and I don't, I don't know. I hate that the show doesn't want me to think that. Yeah, I think, I think that's what they want you to think, though. I mean, she's she's gonna show up in twenty twenty two with Doctor Strange and the Wanda Vision movie. That's a real thing. Is it? Oh, um, the Mountains of Madness or whatever. Yeah, is that what's yeah. it called? It's the Multiverse of Madness, which is what they've been trying to do since Spider Verse came out. That so is- multi- that multiverse thing. Okay. I, that's what I thought what they were doing when they had fake, uh, fake Quicksilver on there. I was like, Oh, this is a multiverse thing. This will be cool. Like, uh, like they're going to kind of establish that, that the multiverse, which is like one of my favorite things about Marvel is the, the multiverse stuff. I think it's like kind of interesting. And, uh, then you can bring cable in or whatever you want to do. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're making it so they can bring everyone in. I mean, Toby Maguire's in that movie. Sam Raimi's directing. Uh, I'll give you one guess who who uh, Toby's playing. Spider Man. Yep. So yeah. is Andrew, Andrew Garfield's playing Spider Man. It's oh, not Andrew Garfield Spider Man though. Come on. Yeah, I didn't say it was well, gonna be awesome. As, as long as he as long as he plays uh, um, basketball in the movie, I'm okay with it. <laughs> so Marvel has a lot of stuff. He coming actually on, plays though. basketball with a uh, Catwoman. Let's talk about this for just a second, though. Marvel's got a lot of stuff coming out. Black Widow sticking on May 7th. That is coming out May 7th. Uh, they had wow, a inve- investment call today, Disney investor call, and they asked them straight up, is Black Widow coming out on May 7th? They said, we are sticking with that release date. So Black Widow will come out on May 7th. Shang-Chi's coming out on July 9th. Eternals, November 5th. Spider-Man, December 17th. We're getting four Marvel movies before the end of this year, plus 
We're also getting a uh, Falcon and uh, Soldier in two weeks. Falcon, Falcon and Soldier. Yeah, Falcon and Winter Soldier and another show too, right? Loki comes Loki. out this year, June 11th. Yes. And uh, is the What If show coming out this year? Uh, it is. N- I don't believe so. Uh, the I only know- other nerd thing is Bad Batch is coming out in May, which was like, that's, I thought that I know- was in the fall. I know What If and Ms. Marvel and Hawkeye are all like in production, but I don't know if they are actually going to make it before the end of this year. Like, it's yeah. like that they don't have release dates yet, but they're, they all were supposed to come out this year or they were attempting to come out this year. Hawkeye was supposed to be in that first run with Loki, but it did not happen. No, no, it did not. So, yeah, I like um, I'm excited about all that stuff. I, I mean, this piqued my interest because it makes me think that with these shows and they might be willing to try stuff that they normally wouldn't. And I can just, you know, like I can just I'm fine with. I'm fine with watching it. Like I was, I'm not disappointed. I know I'm probably sounded really negative the whole time. Like I'm fine with it. It's just, I, I wanted, uh, I wanted something more, you know, I wanted, uh, I wanted the payoff to be something different than CGI. Would you say you're not disappointed compared to your expectation coming in or you're not cons- disappointed compared to your expectation at its peak? Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's the thing is like, I, after episode four, I was like this show, might be one of my favorite shows to come out in a long time. And then it, it wasn't. <laughs> and then it just ended up being a show. Yeah, it's just a show. It's fun to entertain. I was, I was entertained. I mean, I didn't hate it. So if the question like... was, are you not entertained? You, you Yeah, I'm entertained. Yeah, I was entertained. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's fine. Now I get to see Anthony Mackie hanging out with... Uh, I'm excited for that. Sebastian that should Stan. be some uh, some I, action. And I love Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan, so I'm gonna watch it because I just because I like those actors, right? I'll give them a shot, but yeah, I don't know. We'll see how we'll see how it goes. I guess. Um, all right. Anything else, Eric? You want to say before we get out of here? No, that's it. All right, for Eric, for Kevin, we will see you guys next week. Go Hawks. <laughs>